to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured upon us because we have sinned against Him. He has confirmed His words which He spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that He has done, and we have not obeyed His voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought Your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for Yourself, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all Your righteous acts, let Your anger and Your wrath turn away from Your city Jerusalem, Your holy hill, because, of, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O Lord our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. And while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me, and saying, O Daniel, I have now come out out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood And to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the abominations shall come one who makes desolate. Until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So far from Daniel chapter 9. Let's also turn to Acts chapter 3. In Acts 3, we uh, turn the pages to the New Testament after the coming of Christ, uh, and we see here in a sermon by Peter uh, how some of these prophecies uh, have been fulfilled in Christ. Acts chapter 3, we'll begin in verse 1 and we'll read through chapter 4, verse 4. 
Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke, by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of of the men came to about 5,000. So far from Acts. Uh, And then finally we'll turn to our last scripture reading from 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, we'll read verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So far, the reading of God's Word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 78, stanzas 1 through 4.
text to which we want to give our special attention this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 1. The verses 10 through 12, there are only three verses, and we'd probably be helped by reading them again. So 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what time or what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. So far, the text. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we laid some of the, in the previous two weeks, we've been laying some of the foundations to understand the letter of Peter. And last week in particular, we spent our time reflecting on this great theme that we're going to see throughout the letter of Peter, which is that the Christian life is characterized by, on the one hand, great joy, inexpressible joy that's grounded in our hope, while at the same time, great sorrows, many trials uh, that also characterize our lives. And that's the uh, paradigm we want to keep in mind now going forward as we work through this letter. There's great joy. There are many and oftentimes very severe trials. Uh, We rejoice, just uh, as a reminder, why do we rejoice? We rejoice because, uh, back to verse 4, we rejoice because we've been born again to a living hope, uh, says Peter, a future that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That is great cause for joy. Uh, That hope has been implanted into our hearts by God. That's what it means to be born again. God has implanted this new identity, this new hope in our hearts. Uh, And that hope then goes on and shapes and defines the way that we live our lives in this world. We live out of that hope. Uh, And that hope also produces a joy. A joy that is, he says, inexpressible even in the worst of trials. Uh, So what that means is even though we we grieve in those trials, we spent some time thinking about that, though we grieve, though we do experience the weight of those trials, and they are heavy, yet that joy, that hope, is still heavier. Uh, That's what the word glory means. Uh, And and Peter says it's a joy that is filled with glory. Uh, So that's the big idea we want to keep in mind. Uh, having said that, the Apostle Peter now takes what might appear to be a bit of a, uh, an excursion from that message uh, here in verses 10 to 12 to say something about the prophets uh, of the Old Testament. Now, as we read that, it might initially seem like sort of an aside. Why does Peter uh, go there? Uh, sort of a detour from the main idea of the letter, but it's not a detour at all. Uh, What Peter is doing in these verses, in in verses 10 to 12, is he's now seeking to ground that hope in the Word of God that has come before. He wants to ground that hope. Uh, and, And not only does he want to ground that hope in the Word of God, but he also wants us to see, uh, to to impress upon us the, the privilege that we now possess, having, uh, being able to live in the fulfillment of what the Word of God said before. So there's a dual purpose there. He wants, first of all, to ground that hope. He wants us to see uh, the Christian hope is not something that we just uh, made up. It's not something that just popped up out of the blue. It's grounded in the Word of God. And he wants us to see as well how privileged we are to be able to live in the time of the Word's fulfillment, the fulfillment of what the prophets uh, said. Uh, And I want to make the argument uh, not only uh, that that sure foundation still remains, but also that that privilege that Peter wants to impress upon his readers is our privilege as well. Even 2,000 years later in Alora, we are privileged 
to live in the time of the fulfillment of God's word. Uh, So that's our, our goal for this morning, to see how the Christian hope is grounded in the scriptures that came before, and to see how good it is, uh, how privileged we are to live in the time where we see that hope fulfilled. Uh, The the first thing then is we want to to look at the scriptures and recognize that the scriptures are the word of God. Uh, That's what uh, Peter uh, says concerning this salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours searched and inquired carefully, Uh, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. Uh, The Scriptures, and here, of course, he's thinking specifically of the Old Testament Scriptures, the Scriptures are the Word of God. They're the Word of God spoken through His prophets. Uh, We want to recognize the the honor that that Peter gives to the Old Testament prophets, uh, even though they were uh, ordinary men in themselves, Peter recognizes that in them the Spirit of God was working. Uh, Their words were not ultimately their words, but the words of God. Uh, So uh, the the prophets, as Peter recognizes, uh, were, were filled with the Spirit of God, and therefore when they spoke, they were able to say, Thus says the Lord. It's not, thus says me, such and such a prophet. Thus says God. Thus says the Lord, uh, Yahweh. Uh, We want to recognize here a very high view of Scripture. Uh, The God who created us is not far from us. He speaks to us. He speaks to us, and He does so through the Scriptures, uh, which were initially spoken by the prophets. Uh, we, we've seen this many times as we've worked through First and Second Kings in the last months, how, how God uh, chooses certain individuals, fills them with His Spirit, and speaks the Word of God uh, to His people through them. Uh, and Scripture is, is the written record of those words of God. Uh, spoken in the, in, in the Old Testament age, uh, in particular through the prophets, Scripture is the record of all that God had said. Uh, and we want to recognize then that, that the Old Testament contains the inerrant, the perfect words of God. Now, now the, the Bible does contain different genres, different uh, types of, uh, of literature. Uh, there are histories. You think of the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, largely containing uh, history, uh, the history of what God uh, did for His people. Uh, the scriptures also contain uh, wisdom literatures, teaching us the way of wisdom, the way of, of life. Uh, the, the scriptures contain also prophecies uh, written in, in many different generations, in many different circumstances. God speaking right into the midst of His people's experience or His people's rebellion. God speaking uh, to them through the words of the prophets. Uh, but all of it together is the Word of God. It's God's Word. It's not merely history. It's not merely uh, wise literature. Uh, It it is the Word of God. It's not the Word of men. It isn't a book of good ideas. Uh, Oftentimes, Scripture in our culture is treated like like a book of good ideas. Uh, It's not. At least, it's not only that. Uh, It's the Word of God. That's why they said, Thus says the Lord. Uh, and this is why the people of God throughout uh, the history, both Old and New Testament, uh, have recognized the books of Scripture as the Word of God. And we want to take that as our, our starting point. Uh, the Lord Jesus Himself uh, appealed to the Scriptures as the Word of God. Uh, for example, when, when He was being uh, tempted by Satan in the wilderness, Satan would come at him with a temptation, and the Lord Jesus would always respond. He'd rebuke Satan by quoting Scripture, saying, uh, it is written uh, such and such. Uh, the Lord Jesus responds with the Word of God. Uh, the apostles, too. Uh, the, the apostle Paul, for example, says to the young pastor Timothy, uh, all of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for rebuke, for training in righteousness. Uh, The Apostle Peter, not only here in in this text, but even in the second letter he writes as well, 
It says, we know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, so that, that's our starting point uh, as well. Uh, our faith is not, not only grounded in, in historical accounts or reliable uh, testimony, uh, though it certainly is that, but it's, it's grounded ultimately in the Word of God, uh, spoken long ago by the prophets and brought to fulfillment in Christ. Uh, Peter wants to drive this home for the strengthening and, and deepening of the, these first Christians' conviction. Uh, they would have been accused by their, their fellow Jews of, of holding to myths, holding to fables, believing in a false Christ, and all these other things. Uh, and Peter just directs their attention back to the Word of God. Uh, that's the foundation that you stand on. Uh, we didn't make this up. Uh, read the Word of God yourselves, and you see how they point to Christ. Uh, so Peter says, The prophets searched and inquired carefully, uh, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Uh, what's amazing as we think back to the prophets writing the Scriptures is Peter says, uh, even they did not fully understand uh, what they were predicting. Uh, they didn't fully understand their own prophecies because it was the Spirit of God in them. Uh, so they had to search. They had to inquire. What does God mean by these words? Uh, even though they were the very ones speaking those words, they had to then ponder them uh, and, and reflect on them. Uh, we, we see this oftentimes in the book of Daniel. Uh, in Daniel 8, uh, the prophet Daniel, now he's a prophet who lived in, uh, in Babylon and then subsequently in Persia, uh, he, he receives a vision uh, and then he writes in Daniel 8, verse 15, uh, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. As in, I didn't get it when I first received it. Uh, again, in, in Daniel 12, uh, he gets another vision, and he says again, I, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Uh, Daniel had to search. He had to inquire, what does God mean by these things that he is showing me? Uh, we, we find Daniel, uh, interestingly, not only searching his own prophecies and his own visions, but also the prophecies of others. Uh, we see this in Daniel chapter 9, which we read earlier, uh, which opens with the words, In the first year of Darius the son of Ahasuerus, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Uh, so uh, Daniel and, and Jeremiah uh, lived not that far uh, apart from each other in, in terms of time. Uh, and Daniel is here, he has a copy of the book of Jeremiah and he's studying it. Uh, he, he's doing a Bible study, as it were, uh, reflecting on the words that God had spoken to, to Jeremiah. Uh, so here we see what Peter is saying. The prophets searched. The prophets inquired, recognizing God was speaking something to them, uh, and, and they were to study it, to meditate on it, to learn from it. Uh, and specifically, what were they inquiring? What were they looking for uh, Peter says they inquired what person or time the spirit of them uh, or the spirit of Christ was in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. Uh, what Peter is saying is that is that the prophets, even hundreds of years before the coming of Christ, uh, were given revelations concerning what what Christ would do, who Christ would be, uh, and when Christ would come. Uh, and they themselves wondered and inquired, what do these things mean? Uh, we see this uh, particularly in, in Daniel 9 again at the very end of, of the chapter after Daniel's long prayer. The angel Gabriel comes to Daniel, and, and this is probably one of the most obscure passages of Scripture. He talks about uh, 70 weeks, and then uh, there's a week in which uh, there's uh, some sort of Messiah figure uh, who is, is, is killed, uh, a prince uh, who, is, who is killed, uh, and then uh, there's some weeks of, uh, of the desolations of the temple, and 
So in the, in the subsequent years, the prophets searched and inquired in great detail, trying to figure out what that prophecy meant. Uh, interestingly, the conclusion that they came to already in that time uh, was that from the time of Daniel, uh, those weeks are, are going to be weeks of years. Uh, so 70 weeks is 70, uh, 70 times 7, uh, so 70 weeks, uh, 70 times 7 years, uh, 490 years, uh, which lands us right at the time of the birth of Christ. Uh, this is, that's why it's not coincidental that uh, around that time many false prophets also showed up, many people that claimed to be the Messiah, because that's when the Jews expected the Christ uh, to come. Uh, and what Peter's saying is, is, is these prophets received these things, they studied these things, and what they wanted to know uh, out of this is when is the Christ coming and who will he be? Uh, all of Scripture is ultimately about that question, the salvation that's revealed in Christ. Uh, so, so Peter says, uh, verse, verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied concerning the grace that was Uh, to be yours, searched and inquired carefully. Uh, So, understand this. In all the histories of Scripture, in all the wisdom literature of Scripture, and in all the prophecies of Scripture, all of it is ultimately about the salvation that's to be revealed in Christ. Uh, That's what all of Scripture is about. That's what all of Scripture points to. Uh, And this is really important because there are many people in our day, often within the church as well, uh, who think that they know what the Bible's about and don't know what the Bible is about. Now, there are many people that think the Bible is all about good ideas, good, uh, just a good way of living. Uh, That's not what it's ultimately about. Uh, There are many people who think the Bible is just a book of laws, a book of laws about what's right and what's wrong. Uh, And though, yes, Scripture includes laws, that is not what Scripture is ultimately about. Uh, There are many people, too, who think the Bible is a book of stories and and myths, uh, sort of like Aesop's fables, these these allegories intended to teach morals and and, and life lessons. Uh, And we're supposed to imitate the good people uh, and avoid imitating the bad people. Uh, And that's not what the Bible's about. In fact, there are no good people in Scripture. Uh, There's only one good person, and his name is Jesus Christ. There are no good people. That's not what Scripture's uh, about. Uh, Ultimately, uh, the Bible is God's Word telling the story of the salvation of the human race in Christ. That's what it's all about. Uh, uh, Really, you can break Scripture down into two great uh, meta-narratives, so to speak. Two two great stories that, that are traced throughout the the history of Scripture. Uh, And they're the stories of, in the first place, the brokenness and fallenness of the human race and the salvation, uh, the redemptive work of God in saving a people for Himself. It's what all of Scripture is about, how broken we are uh, and how God saves us in Christ. Uh, This is why uh, so much of Scripture tells uh, in in, uh, graphic detail uh, the gruesome story of the brokenness and fallenness of humanity uh, in all of its horror. And sometimes we read the Bible, maybe you have this with your kids when you're reading the Bible around uh, lunchtime and and you you get to certain chapters and you think, I don't know whether we should even read these chapters. I don't think this is uh, PG. Uh, And we wonder, why is all this even in there? Uh, there, there's violence, there's murder, uh, there's, there's abuse, there's cruelty, uh, godlessness, idolatry. And, and we start to wonder, why is this even in there? Uh, you go to judges and you've got tribes cutting up concubines and selling the, or, or, or mailing those parts throughout the, uh, the, the tribes of Israel. Uh, you've got foreign armies ripping open uh, pregnant women. We saw that in, in the book of Kings, or people boiling their children. And uh, if we're accustomed to thinking that the Bible is, is this devotional book uh, meant for your personal inspiration, uh, there are parts you're probably going to want to stay away from. Uh, th- that's not the most effective, uh, ins- inspiring uh, literature. Uh, you're better off buying something from, from, from the inspirational speakers of our day if that's what you're looking for. Uh, and so what often happens is people will stay away 
from certain parts of Scripture because we, we think, well, that's not going to give me the, the, the positivity or the inspiration uh, that, that, I, that I want. Uh, and, and so maybe you, you turn to the Psalms and you think, well, I'll find something there in the Psalms. And then you get to the Psalms and you, you find uh, prayers of, of uh, what are called imprecatory Psalms. Uh, prayers that, that God would punish. Prayer that, that God would judge. Uh, evildoers. You read about people uh, lying and, and murdering. Uh, it's not a pleasant book. It's not. Uh, and, it, and it ultimately culminates in the one righteous man ever to have lived being crucified by evil and godless men. It's not a pleasant book. Uh, and, and so what often happens if, if people make inspiration and positivity their, their idol, uh, then we say, well, I'm not going to listen to the Word of God except those parts that I find inspiring. Uh, and we'll end up picking and choosing different verses, taking things uh, out of context. Well, that's not what the Bible is. Uh, it is, uh, again, that first great story, it is uh, the, the terrible graphic account of a humanity that's turned its back on God and is in desperate need for salvation. Uh, uh, right from the beginning, it tells the story of Adam and Eve being created good and turning their backs on, on God. Uh, Adam then blaming his, his bride, uh, Eve, for that sin and effectively saying, God, just, just kill her. Let her die uh, for, for my sins. Then their, their very first children, uh, Cain and Abel. Uh, and Cain murders his brother Abel. Uh, then the next, uh, the, the later part of that same chapter talks about Lamech, uh, one of Cain's descendants who becomes a polygamist and, and a murderer. Uh, it's a gruesome uh, story. It's a terrible story. Uh, it's the misery of a humanity that's turned its back on God. Uh, and not only is it the misery of humanity, it's also the judgment of God for that sin. Sin has consequences, and, and a large part of Scripture is devoted to showing that. Sin has consequences. Uh, God is just and righteous. You know, that, that, that cute story about Noah's Ark that you find in, in all these children's Bibles uh, is not such a cute story. It's, it's probably the most awful story in the whole of, uh, of Scripture, uh, where God judged the entire human race with the judgment of death. Uh, it's a terrible uh, story. Uh, and so those, uh, those people as well who would present the Bible as a moralizing book, as uh, this is, these are the good people you're supposed to imitate, uh, uh, what good people are there? Uh, you look at Noah in that story, the one good person, uh, you might think. The one person, it says, uh, 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 with whom God had favor. Uh, and as soon as he got out of the ark, he got drunk uh, and, and, and fell down and slept naked in front of his children. That's the best person in the human race in that uh, age. Or you look at Abraham, the, the man called out by God to be a new people, uh, who, who twice gave away his own wife uh, to save his skin. Uh, you look at Jacob uh, and, and uh, how, he, how he picked favorites between his wives uh, and how he, he showed favoritism also towards his children. Now you look at David, the man after God's own heart, uh, who, who slept with another man's wife and then had the husband murdered. Uh, where are the good people in this story? So that's one, uh, one great story that's traced out uh, in Scripture. There's just the awful brokenness of the, the human race. Uh, and if we're wondering why is all that stuff in our Bibles, because we need to see it. Because we need to see it. We need to know uh, our own brokenness. Uh, we, we need to not get used to it. Uh, we need that appropriate sense of, of horror and shock uh, at how miserable sin really is. But then there's a second story, and this is the one that Peter's uh, really drawing our attention to, uh, the story of God's redemptive grace. And that, too, is right from the beginning, right to the end of Scripture. God saving a people for himself out of that broken human race. God forgiving sin. God reconciling uh, men and women to himself. Uh, teaching them holiness. Uh, bringing about transformation uh, in, in their lives. Uh, and that is a story that ultimately culminates in Christ. Uh, dying for our sin, to deal with the brokenness of sin, and rising to new life uh, to bring about transformation. 
Uh, that too then uh, begins right in Genesis. The moment Adam and Eve fall into sin, God responds with promise. God responds with uh, hope, uh, promising that one day the offspring of Eve is going to crush the head of the serpent, uh, bringing an end to that dominion. Uh, uh, scripture records uh, God calling Abraham, yes, that pagan uh, idol worshiping and, and none to savory of a husband. Uh, man uh, out from Babylon and making a covenant with him, promising uh, to, to make of him a great nation and to bless all the nations of the earth through him. Now, all of that is looking forward to Christ. Uh, you, you see how that, that gospel is also put into image form, into symbolic form in, in, in the uh, priestly system ordained, uh, that, that God had ordained to, to Moses. Now, all the sacrifices telling the same message. Uh, there's one way of salvation, and that's in blood shed for you in the blood of the Savior. Uh, uh, you look at even within the temple and the tabernacle, the incense and the holiness uh, th- that is there, uh, speaking to, to the transformation brought about by Jesus, how we're, we're made a holy, sacred people uh, in Him. Uh, that whole system, whether it's the bronze altar of judgment out front or, or the, the, the golden altar of incense uh, within, uh, all of it pointing to Christ. Uh, so uh, the, the story of, of salvation has often been described as, as like a rose uh, that, that starts you know, tightly bound up and, and you don't see much that's there. Uh, and then it slowly opens and you see the, the exquisite uh, detail uh, that, that, that is there as God's promises and God's covenants start uh, getting unfolded, and all of it directs our attention to Christ. Uh, And that's what Peter wants us to to think about. These prophets, as they lived in the middle of that that blossoming, uh, of that rose, uh, these prophets were themselves uh, seeking, inquiring uh, what the Spirit of Christ was telling them as they themselves prophesied concerning Christ. Uh, they searched and they inquired. Uh, the prophet Isaiah, uh, for example, speaks of, of the birth of the Messiah. Uh, it says, To us a child is born and a son is given, and the government uh, shall be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, how the prophets uh, studied that prophecy in the subsequent years, uh, searching and inquiring, what does this mean? Uh, of whom is this speaking? Uh, if you look into the old ancient Jewish records before the coming of Christ, uh, these were the great debates that they had. Uh, what's that text about? Uh, who is that speaking to? When is he supposed to come? Uh, the prophet Micah as well foresaw his birth in, in, in Bethlehem. Uh, That's Micah 5. Uh, The prophet Malachi says that that God will come to his temple, uh, which interestingly provides another date, or at least an upper limit for the date, because the temple's gone by by the year 70 AD. So so this Messiah comes uh, before that date. and that same prophecy then is reinforced in what we read in Daniel, speaking of uh, 490 years from Daniel to the coming of the Messiah. Uh, the prophet Zechariah speaks of the Messiah being betrayed uh, for 30 shekels of silver. Uh, again, going back to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah sees in, in vivid detail the sufferings. Uh, Peter specifically mentions that, the sufferings of the Messiah, the sufferings, death, and glory of of that Savior. Isaiah uh, 52 and and 53 are so full of detail uh, concerning the the suffering of Christ that they're often described as the fifth gospel. Uh, Even though they were written 500 years before Christ, so so perfectly do they tell the story of His death uh, that... uh, that, that you can read them uh, to, to many Jews, and they assume that you're reading out of the New Testament uh, and not out of their own Bibles. Uh, Isaiah 50, 52, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, uh, acquainted with griefs. Uh, he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Uh, Isaiah prophesies of how Christ would be uh, not only put to death, uh, but buried in a rich man's tomb. Uh, how Christ would uh, subsequently also see uh, the fruit of his resurrection, 
uh, that, that after his death, yet he will see uh, uh, his, his children. Uh, now, none of these prophets fully understood what they themselves uh, spoke. They were, they were speaking as led by the Spirit of Christ. Uh, they, so they had to search. They had to inquire uh, what person or time. And they studied what God revealed to them and what God revealed to others. Uh, that, that rose of God's salvation in their time was not done uh, blossoming. Uh, but they did reveal enough that when Christ came, uh, the, the first Christians, who of course were Jews, understood this is the fulfillment of what God had promised. This is why after Jesus rose from the dead, uh, one of the first things that we find him doing uh, is he meets with two of his disciples as they're walking on the road to uh, Emmaus, and he opens the scriptures with them which, of course, wasn't the New Testament. It was the Old Testament. He opens the Scriptures with them uh, in, in Luke 24. And, and it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, uh, as well as the Psalms, uh, he interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. Uh, it's all there, and it's all pointing to Christ. So Peter tells us all this so that we would recognize that our hope is not just something we hold in our hearts, uh, something that we've made up for ourselves. Our hope is something that is firmly grounded in the Word of God that's come before. This is not something uh, altogether new. Uh, It's there in in the reliable witness of those who were there, when Christ rose from the dead, uh, those who saw him and, and testified about that. Uh, but even more, it's grounded in what God had said would happen years and years and years before. And that's why we, uh, as Christians, continue to read and preach from the Old Testament. We recognize this is not just a, an old book. It's not a book to be uh, thrown away. It's the Word of God uh, telling the story, yes, of the sin and misery of our race, but of God's salvation that culminates uh, in Christ. Uh, this is one of the reasons why, uh, particularly in our tradition, we've really emphasized that when the Old Testament is preached, uh, it's not to be preached moralistically, as in here are the good examples, here are the bad examples. Uh, yes, those are there, uh, and there are lessons to be learned from that, uh, but that's not ultimately what Scripture's about. It's not uh, the, the sort of dare-to-be-a-Daniel uh, kind of approach. It's, it's Daniel predicted the sufferings and death and resurrection of Christ. And that's what we want to see, how Christ came to save us from sin, uh, Satan, death, and the wrath of God. And so, brothers and sisters, we we should have a deep love for the Word of God. Uh, We we should not think of uh, Bible reading as as merely a, a sort of devotional duty uh, that, that we ought to do, uh, but the Word of God should be our delight because there on every page, though we see, yes, our misery, uh, yes, yet we also see the grace of God given to unworthy sinners. Uh, we see the love of God who constantly returns to us, who makes covenant with us, who pursues us, and who directs all of our attention back to Christ. Uh, uh, so, so Peter wants us to see this, uh, all of this grounded in the Word of God uh, for the strengthening and, res- and the resolve of our, our faith. Uh, it's by reading the Word of God that we gain an appreciation for, uh, for the truth of the gospel. Uh, and then the second thing he wants us to see is that uh, by, by reading these prophets, by, by dwelling on, on the Old Testament, we also gain an appreciation for the moment in which we live. And, that, and that he really highlights that uh, in, in, the, the, uh, in these verses. Uh, these prophets longed for this day, he tells the church. They longed to see this day. Uh, when you look back at, at the people of God who lived in an earlier stage of God's redemption, uh, there's so much they didn't know. There's so much they didn't have. Uh, they, they had to search, they had to inquire, and they longed uh, for that day. Uh, that's the day they wanted to see, that they wanted to live in. And and what Peter tells the church then is, that's the day you have the privilege of of living in. I don't know if you've ever had it, uh, you've bought something online, uh, and you're just, 
whatever it is, you're, you're eager for it to come and you're like checking the tracking number every two hours uh, just because that's somehow going to hurry it up. It's going to make it come quicker. Uh, well, that's the, the, the sort of thing Peter describes the prophets as doing. They're, they're searching and inquiring. They can't hasten the day, uh, but they can spend as much time as they want dwelling on what God has revealed to better understand, to at least see something of that day. Uh, they wanted nothing more than to live in our day. Uh, as the Lord Jesus told his disciples uh, as well in Matthew 13, uh, he says, Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you are hearing and did not hear it. Uh, they longed for that day. Uh, and so then, coming back to the main theme of, of Peter, yes, we do grieve with many trials. Uh, And Peter was well acquainted with the suffering that that these Christians were going through. Uh, But he would have them remember and have us remember the privilege of being able to know the salvation of Christ uh, in our day. Uh, To know the depths of God's grace and love for sinners uh, that's that's truly blossomed out, that's truly revealed uh, in Christ. Uh, to know how he has uh, died for us to unite us and reconcile us back to God. Uh, what a privilege it is to live in this age, in this the last chapter of redemptive history, when we know that not only has Christ come, but he's right now building his church, and he will, uh, when that work is done, also return. Uh, that, that is a great privilege. One, which Peter says, even angels... Even angels long to look into. So not just the prophets who are searching and inquiring, but even the angels. You get this vision of angels sort of peering down from heaven, uh, looking at what God is doing and wondering, when is this going to happen? The angels, uh, those who live in the presence of God and get to see His glory uh, day after day, even they are are eager to see that rose finish blossoming. Uh, And so we have the privilege of being able to live here in this age and to even be a part, to even be a part of that redemptive work uh, unfolding. As the church grows, as the gospel goes out, we get the privilege of being able to not just know what Christ has done for us, but live in light of that and also share that that great and, and glorious truth. Uh, we get to live, uh, as it were, on, on ground zero of God's, uh, God's kingdom, uh, right here on the front lines of, of God's kingdom, uh, to, to, to be the people that God has chosen and, and set apart, uh, and to follow the call of the gospel and enjoy the, the tremendous privilege of knowing Christ as the Savior who died for us and rose again uh, for us. Uh, So though we grieve, yes, we do grieve with many trials, uh, that's why we also rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible uh, because we know and have already received the outcome of of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Amen.